you're about to hear a true story of someone who has taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host, and thank you for joining me. Brandon, welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I can't wait to get to know you. So start out by telling me a few things about you. Um, I was born and raised in San Francisco. I'm a third generation small business owner. And, and I think one of the reasons I'm grateful to be here with you is because I do truly believe when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And I know we all have war stories, I'm going to say for the lack of a better word, of what's happened to us throughout our lifetime. But I truly believe things don't happen to me, they happen for me. And that deep sense of gratitude has allowed me to always find the light in the darkness. Oh, I love that so much. I think that's why I found you because I've got to hear your war story. I call it the lemon to lemonade story. So tell me, tell me your story. Why do you do what you do? Take me back. So at 11 months old, uh, my sister and I went into the foster care system. And that's because my mom was an alcoholic. She and my dad had taken off and went to LA at the time, Los Angeles. And so I got really sick. And after five days of my mother not coming back to pick us up from the babysitter, she took me to emergency. I had croup. They almost had to perform a tracheotomy to help me breathe. But fortunately, the air tent brought down the inflammation on my throat. But of course that triggered social services because she said, I'm just the babysitter, the parents aren't here. So my parents got hit for abandonment. And then for the next three to four years, my sister and I were in the foster healthcare system. And at that time it wasn't very sophisticated and people just took the check and so they could have the kids. And that was a traumatic experience. And my parents got us back. After that, um, my father was physically abusive to my mother and us for many years until we were about eight. And my mother eventually left my father for his best friend as one of her only ways out. And we were left with a very abusive father for many years, many mm. years. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm so sorry. That's a rough start. So how does somebody come out of the first eight years of their life that way? Well, it, it, it wasn't that simple. You know, then after that, um, the physical abuse became verbal abuse. And my father was very controlling and being a martial artist, uh, my father was my coach. He was my dad. He was my instructor. He told me how many hours to sleep, how many kicks to throw, what food to eat, how much to weigh. So he was a very strong disciplinarian and it was physical and, and verbally he would discipline us. And so that went on until I was like 17, 18 years old. And within there, I was physically molested by a couple of different people. And that went unchecked because where I grew up in a very impoverished environment, that was not something you spoke about. It was a very big weakness for especially a male in that environment. And because they were girls or women, I should say, even more the reason guys would look at me and say, well, you're stupid. What do you mean you were molested? That was a girl. But in therapy years later, I realized that's not something an eight-year-old boy should be doing nor a 12-year-old boy. So when I finally left home at 18, 19 years old, I was disciplined, but I didn't have self-discipline. And that's really the key to living your best life. So my 20s were spent stumbling and fumbling from one bad relationship to the next, one failed job to the next into a business that I started, which did very well, which was a DJ company. 
And in that DJ company, we did weddings, bar mitzvahs, company parties, different things of that nature. But in that time, I spent a lot of time in reflection, retreats. I would go to the Zen center, every different temple in the world, trying to find that sense of higher self. And, and that enlightenment that would allow me to get past my demons and my upbringing into a better version of myself. Yeah, I really want to have it be understood that it took time. It took a long time. It wasn't something you just turned 19 and got out of your situation and things were better. It took years of working at it and finding different things that work for you. And I just want people to understand you don't just flip a switch one day and your life is in perfect order. So you have to make the effort and you sound like you really worked hard to make it better. Well, and I continue to this day, I'll be 60 in January. And with that, I recognize Muhammad Ali said it so well, if I behave at 50, the way I did when I was 20, then I've wasted 30 years. So the beautiful thing about getting older and wiser is we have that maturation, we have that life experience to really define who we are today. And for me, that's a constant, it's never ending. We're always trying to get to our higher self, a better version of ourselves, but make no mistake. I mean, the yin to the yang is being content with who we are, being grateful for who we are, warts and all. That's where true self-love lives. And I think that was the big thing for me. I was never good enough. I was never smart enough. I was never strong enough. I stuttered as a child. Um, I had speech therapy, a lot of these different things, and I always felt lesser than. And so to be able to be okay with me, for the lack of, of a cliche saying, to be okay with me and to love myself for who I am, whether I'm 20 or 30 or 40, wherever I am in that journey, has really become a mantra and, and a mindset that I continue to cultivate to this day. Okay, so take me back. What was the process you went through to make lemons into you know, lemonade? I was living in, in the Philippines at the time and I was under Warner Brother Records. I had the number one album, three top 10 hits, um, the number one song. I was living a very decadent lifestyle and I was sitting in traffic and I was complaining and moaning and groaning. My driver didn't speak English. We had no idea. Just thought this crazy guys, you know, ranting, raving in the back seat because I didn't feel I should have to sit in traffic because I had the number one song. I'm going to go do this TV show. And I looked over at the side of the road and I don't know. I mean, this boy was a squatter, as they call them in a third world country. So he's obviously poor, dirt poor, standing in front of shanties. We call them cardboard houses. And I don't know if this kid was playing with a stick or a rock, Heidi. I have no idea. But it was like slow motion because what he had was that bliss. This kid was happy. He was so happy. And it's obvious he was dirt poor, dirt poor, pollution, congestion, traffic, everything around him. And this kid had everything that I didn't have with all my trapping. And I remember sinking down in this back seat and I was embarrassed for me. I mean, nobody could see me or hear me, but I was embarrassed. And I slunk down in that back seat and I went, wow, what's happening here? And I promptly sold everything. I didn't take the next record deal. And I came back to America. And that's really when things sh shifted in a big way, in a big way. But th that wasn't the end of it. Then shortly thereafter, my sister, who had grown up in the foster homes with me, 
was my best friend, my surrogate mom, my sister, everything. She died and she died of um, heart failure. And I remember getting that call because I was teaching a kickboxing class because I had opened up my own martial arts school at that point, long story short. And I remember driving home and it was raining and I went into my room and she would often go into the room when I didn't come home because I was staying with her and her, her family. And she was there on the floor. So it was really surreal because when I got there, I expected to see an ambulance and police and all that, but they had already came and gone. And the coroner, ironically, had broken down. So that's why they weren't there removing her body. So I'm pulling up to the front of the house going, this looks like every day. This just looks like every day, Heidi, right? Her car's there, everything looks in place. And I walk in the house, my cousin was sitting there crying and I knew, and I went into the room and, and, and she was lying on the floor. So for some strange reason, I go, she can't be seen like this. I started taking all the rollers out of her hair. I put a pillow under her head and a blanket over her because she was still warm. She was still warm. And I held her very close to my chest. And I honestly, God's truth, I felt her pass through me. And, and when she passed through me, through my chest and out my back, that really kind of sealed the deal that this is just one of many planes for me, at least it did for me. This is just one of many journeys. And when I sat in the church at her eulogy, I looked out at everybody, about 400 people. And I said, this is the saddest day of my life. And it's the happiest day. And they looked at, okay, this guy's distraught, right? And what it was though, Heidi, I said, I wouldn't be this sad if I wasn't allowed to love so deeply. How lucky am I? And that's when I really understood my purpose here. And from that moment on, I mean, I've pretty much lived to celebrate her life by living my best life and doing everything I can to impact people, to help people, as well as create opportunities through the companies I own, through the different things that I do. Incredible. I love what you said about that living your best life, basically for her, you know, hers was cut short. And instead of mourning that, and crawling into a hole and being miserable the rest of your life and lonely without her, you are elevating her life by living your best. That's, that's amazing. It's a great gift you've been given to be able to do that. Well, and you know, Heidi, to move from that victim mindset, yeah. you know, nobody blamed me. I had bad relationships because my dad was married five times. You know, I was a failure because I was in a foster home because I was born poor. Yeah. And that poor me, poor me climbing on a pity pot. You could do that. You can absolutely do that. My niece, my, 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 my sister's daughter was in and out of jail for the next decade. And it was always because mom died, mom died, mom died. And I said, you know what? That's not fair. She's not here to defend herself or anything. And she sits and looks down on upon us from heaven. And, you know, she's sad because she can't do anything to change your life. Only you can do that. And that's why it's live your best life, not mine, not my dad's, not society's, not anybody. But do you have that courage? Do you really have that courage, Heidi, to go out there and define and figure out who you are, what's your purpose, and then have enough courage in the face of criticism and everything else to live your version of success, your version of happiness? That takes a lot. So what did you do from there? Well, I can kind of skip forward to today. I own several companies. I own a consulting company. I have a character development online company. I have a TED Talk. Uh, I've spoke all over the world, Harvard, Stanford, Korea, Spain, Mexico. I continue to cultivate that through my own example, 
in my every thought, word, and action, I go out there on a daily basis and say, hey, if I could do it, you can do it because here's where I came from. And guess what? When life gives you lemons, you can make lemonade, but that's a constant, that's a choice. I can either continue sucking on that lemonade and it be sour, or I can break out some new tools and make some really cool lemonade. And if you want, make pink lemonade. If you want, make, you know, a raspberry lemonade. It's your call. But to sit there and live it from that victim mindset and let that tape perpetuate and play again and again in your head day in and day out, I think doesn't serve us on that path to being the best version of ourselves. So today, I'm, I mean, I'm extremely blessed. I'm extremely blessed. Even coming out of this challenging situation, I never looked at it as, you know, lemons. I looked at it as this is a great opportunity to redefine our business, to redefine our team, our culture, to everything that we do. And most of all, to continue to impact people's lives and be that difference and that example. So it's pretty cool. It's very cool. Wow, thank you. You did skip over a little something because you said you're like in a car, in a taxi, and you hear your, you have a number one hit. You have, so you said you were DJing, and then all of a sudden you, you have, are you, were you in a band or were you yep. a musician? Yep. So, so while I owned the DJ company, and that was my main source of income, which I only worked on the weekends, weddings, bar mitzvahs, high schools, companies. During the week, right. I played in bands and we were slugging it out all over San Francisco and the Bay Area trying to get a record deal. And that didn't happen. It was like being married to five guys. So I finally said, you know what? This is not what I want to do anymore. So I got rid of the whole band. I built a recording studio and I went about learning to write better, write better. It was just me in a studio writing. And so after I did all of that, I landed a deal in Asia, in particular the Philippines. And so after that exhausted itself, as I shared, you know, I would stand on a stage in front of 10,000 people and I was totally alone. And I said, this is not what I signed up for. What's wrong here? What's wrong here? And I love writing music and playing music. And that was a big part, but all the rest of it, the decadence, the trapping, the, the whole, the fakery. I mean, it's just so much of it. It's not what I want to do. So when I came back here, um, I sat about sitting and deciding, well, what do you want to do next? And Taibo was really big. And I said, wow, Taibo, right? It's the aerobic karate thing. And I said, there's martial arts, there's music, there's showbiz, there's everything all rolled up in one. So I put out my own version of it and cultivated into, I was teaching at four different health clubs, maybe three different karate schools, the park and rec, had a hundred students. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to open my own school. But it had to be service-based because in the martial arts industry, long story short, it's contracts, upgrades, bell testing fees. We're taught more to be salesmen versus servants of the community. So I thought about creating a business model that's unheard of in our industry and it's very profitable. So that's what I do now. I go about preaching that word to other school members that, hey, you can have great art, you can serve people, not have to be salesmen, and you can be extremely profitable in the process. So that's kind of like the abridged version of all that. Wow. Very creative. That's, again, taking those lemons and making lemonade, even with your career. It's how you've been able to go through this path and really find your passion and find what works for you and help other people along the way. That's amazing. Yes, you know, coming up on 60, I believe I have more years behind me than in front of me. And I used to think that you had to be old to die. You know, I have a buddy right now who is his four month old son has been battling cancer since he was a couple of weeks old. And we see so many people die. Age has nothing to do with that. And then, then I begin to really truly understand, Heidi, that dying is easy. It's living that's hard. And to really 
be able to take lemons and make lemonade through this pandemic, through divorce, through death, through financial hardship. That is truly the art of life. And when we make that type of commitment to be that type of artist, to be a master of life and being able to find happiness, as the Dalai Lama says, the person who's richest is the one who can be happiest with the least. And to be able to master that, because we're only here for a second, is, is truly what my passion is, is what I would encourage for anybody. You have a great insight on life. I love this. It's been very very enlightening as well. This is fascinating. I love how you said you have more years behind you than ahead of you, because we really don't know, you know, anything could happen to any of us any moment. And uh, I'm always like, live with no regrets kind of person. I like to just get up and make sure I complete everything I'm supposed to do. And that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and that people can count on me. And I kind of have everything in order. I don't want to put anything off. And I think it's that same kind of thinking of like, I don't know how many more days I'm going to have or years, but I want to enjoy each one. Make the best yeah, and, and, and I don't think of it that way in a morbid fear-based way. Not I think it from a very deep love, love and gratitude for me is one of the highest forms of love, right? Because under fear, resentment, regret, jealousy, envy, prejudice, on and on, under love, patience, empathy, tolerance, you know, and gratitude. Gratitude to me is one of the highest forms of love. And every day I wake up is just, I'm grateful to be here. Yeah. So when I wake up and I, my morning ritual is about gratitude and meditation and the whole nine yards, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. So I'm not like always looking over the fence at the Joneses or even worse, picking up the inquirer, go, oh, look, Brad Pitt's miserable. My life's not so messed up, right? I really wake up and I'm so grateful for the people in my lives, for the challenges in my life, for everything, because you can't compartmentalize gratitude. You can't only be grateful for the good stuff. You got to be grateful for everything, much like true love is unconditional, right? It's unconditional. Same thing with gratitude. And that has been huge for me in waking up every day, realizing the only day I have is this day, this breath, this moment, this moment with you is all that matters to me right now. And if I can do that, then truly a day is a day or oh, time's going by so fast. Well, that's because you're not living in the moment. And if you can live in the moment, the day's just as long as it was when we were five years old. It really is. It really is. But again, it's that mindset shift where, as you said, you know, take lemons and make lemonade. That is so true. I love this because I'm the same way with it's not a morbid thing. It's a gratitude thing. You just are in the moment, living it and enjoying it and relishing in it and finding the good in even stuff that isn't so great that you would think and you can find the blessing in things and live for <laughs> things that are happening for you. And uh, it's a great mindset to change that way and be able to be open to what is this bringing to my life? How is this problem or something that I didn't expect or didn't want? How is this blessing my life? How is this improving me? How is this teaching me? What am I learning and growing from this? And when you look at things in that mindset, you're still going to have the lemons. They still come. It's not like your life is easy now no. because you've changed no. that thinking. You're still having stuff come up day to day that you have to deal with. But once you elevated that thinking to that more grateful level, things just aren't that big anymore. Well, and I think it's habit too, Heidi, right? Absolutely. You've heard the one about the blue dog, red dog, right? Or the wolf story, the Indian one. Here I've got the blue dog. The blue dog is 
the negative side of me, the, you know, awful thinking, negative, debilitating on this side, I, I got the red dog, you know, or the good me, the passionate, grateful, which one do I feed? Who do I want to walk with? Every day I wake up and I choose to be my own best friend or my own worst enemy. That's my call. And that's a beautiful thing about mindset is we have that choice. And which one do I feed? You know, I know he's there. And as long as I don't feed him, then this one, the better parts of me can live. But I throw a rich cracker at this guy. He's off and running. He's like, yay, self-loathing. Yay, envy, jealousy. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I'm ever mindful when I make up, wake up at that fork in the road. Who am I going to be today? Because we've all woken up in funks. We've all woken up in bad moods. Who am I going to be today? And I always head this way because it's a habit. I don't even, I don't even pay him no mind. I don't entertain him. He wants to rear his ugly head. I'm already that way because it's a habit. It's a habit because that stinking thinking, I can sit there and let that thing sit in my mind and go over and over. And pretty soon it's this huge monster. And I've dug a hole so deep. I'm looking up going, how, how did I get here? We've all been there many, many times in many situations. I just choose not to run that way. I don't. And it's habit. Everything's habit, right? So you got to practice new habits and, and keep them, keep yes. them going. Yes. And don't shoot the whole day if you have a bad experience. Mm -hmm. It feels like if you start out, oh, I'm positive thinking, good, it's a good day, I'm awake, I'm going, and then something happens. It's a terrible day. You're just like, wait, <laughs> just had an experience. It doesn't mean your whole day is turned into terrible. And it could be several terrible things in a row, but we still have to find that momentum to get back to that positive track again and have that gratitude still, even if things come at you in the day, we shouldn't just wipe out the whole day as a bad day we can still come back at the end of the day and find things to be grateful for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think part of that process though, is honoring your feelings. Absolutely. <laughs> if, I, if I'm in a funk or something's going on or something triggers me, I'm, I'm not afraid to sit with it for a moment, but it's like anything. I'm going to embrace it with love. If it's a shame, let's say it's a thought on shame. I wrap my arms around my shame and I go, what's going on there, buddy? Talk to me. You know, you're feeling ashamed. Is that some old tape playing in your head or, or is it good shame? It's some new shame that you need to honor and say, hey, this is good shame, right? Okay, I get that. I get that. So I think that's important too, because I don't simply want to ignore my feelings. I want to say, well, why is this happening? Why am I in this mood? What am I supposed to learn from this? And if I don't honor this feeling, no matter how dark or negative it is, without it becoming one day into two, into a week, into months, into a year, then I may not get that valuable lesson I need to learn out of it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I totally get what you're saying. That's exactly what I was trying to say. You said it so much better. <laughs> so that's great. Well, thank you for that. No, that's exactly it. We can, we have to accept the feeling or the rough thing or the challenge or the bad thing and, and deal with it. We can't keep shoving it or, oh, let's think our oh, let's just think about unicorns and rainbows and everything will be better. No, there are things that happen in our lives and we do have to deal with them. We can't just shove everything under the rug and pretend that they don't exist and that it's not hard. Oh, and it really is a process, isn't it? I mean, it scares me that people need smartphones to teach them they're smart and they need you know, this Fitbit thing to tell them it's time to stop and breathe slow. And they need this notification to tell them to listen to a calm, you know, podcast. They need this to say, hey, now it's three o'clock, get your coffee. That scares me. I think it distances us 
from our truer self. There's something really amazing about critical thinking and common sense and figuring it out to really empower yourself by figuring things out and failing forward fast and recognizing failure. Failing doesn't make me a failure. You know, failing is part of the process to success and to be cool with all that. But as long as we've got a phone to stare in and we can scream, hey, Siri, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, I believe that's going to separate us even more from ourselves. And there needs to be a balance. Fortunately, being a little older, I grew up without cell phones or personal computers and all that. And there's something magical about that, too. There just is. Go in the backyard and play with a stick. You know, figure out you don't need an iPad to be entertained. Go out there and, you know, be creative, discover things. And so I encourage that to people at every turn, you know, put away the phone, put it away and, and tune into yourselves. And that path of self-discovery is powerful, but it can be lonely, right? Because you've got to turn inward and you've got to walk that path. And are you willing to pull back your own covers? Are you willing to do that? And look at yourself with all transparency and authenticity. You know what I mean? Like after midnight, when there's nobody around, it's just you and your thoughts and go, mm, yeah, I got no one to distract me. I got no one to say, you're okay, Brandon. I've got to look at this. And that's when you really learn, can I take this lemon and turn it into a lemon lemonade, right? And I think that's fun and it's powerful. I'm at least I'm at that point now. I'm not where I used to be at that time where I needed a distraction. So I stayed further away from me because I didn't like me. That's what I was just thinking. I thought, well, when you're alone with yourself, you really learn if you like yourself or not. It's a big test. Because we're with ourselves 24-7, 365. Yeah. You better like yourself. And I don't mean in an egotistical, narcissistic, you know, insecure way. I mean, with a deep sense of humility and gratitude that, hey, man, this is me and I'm cool with it. Warts and all. And I'll continue to strive to be a better version of me because that's what I believe I'm here to do. But if I can't love myself completely today, then I can't get there. I can't. I'm great at beating myself up. I believe we all are. God, I can do that all day long, Heidi. Yeah. I can yeah. beat myself up. That's the easy part. Definitely get the there. trophy for that, right? <laughs> First place winner on <laughs> yep. beating yourself up. Yep. Yeah, but that's the yin yang, Heidi, right? Sometimes I need to kick myself in the butt. And say, hey, dude, get off that pity pot. Let, let's rock and roll here. Let's take care of business. I recognize both are there, that yin yang. And I think they need to be there to create a balanced human being. Sometimes I need to be ashamed of myself. When I say something inappropriate or I do something wrong intentionally or not, I believe in karma. And, and if I do that because I'm a human being, I need to raise my hand and say, time's up, pencil's down. I made a mistake. I am sorry. I apologize. Here's my course correction. Right. But I'm not going to brush it under the rug because then that becomes a shame that sits in a closet that I don't want to look and I want to bury. I keep everything in the light of day and being able to apologize and be accountable is really important, really important in that process for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really huge. Something I don't really think about, but I'm glad you brought that up because that is really important to be able to apologize or to kind of own your bad behavior or your mistakes. I think that's critical. We need to just stop blaming it on everything else and just own it. Say, yep, yeah, that's and, me. And I did that. And even if my own insecurity says, well, I don't have to apologize for that. I'm not sorry. I remember once apologizing to someone and they said, your apology is not authentic. I said, well, you know, I'll be real honest. I don't know you that well, but I understand as from one human to another that my actions offended you. And for that, I'm sorry. And, but they wouldn't take the apology. 
They wouldn't commit. No way, because they didn't think it was authentic. I said, well. Then that's okay. on them. Yeah. It is. But see, I think that's that's it, being able to be accountable for ourselves without running it through a filter of, okay, well, if I say this, they'll like me better, they'll accept me, and I'll be okay with them. Just generally saying, I'm sorry, because one human to another, you don't dig what I did, so I'm sorry. That's pretty basic, right? It's pretty, pretty basic. basic. I like that. My work, my life is is being able to be vulnerable and be transparent and share with people you know, this is my story. And I'm not asking anyone to live my story, but hopefully it might give someone else the courage or inspire them that, you know, even though some people might say, yeah, you were broken. Yeah. But the cool thing, like when a bone breaks, it can heal stronger and better. So to be able to be that person and be who I am today and fail forward fast, like Buzz Lightyear said, you know, I fall with style, right? It, it's, it's cool. I, I think it's really cool. And, and to be blessed to travel the world and teach and write. You know, I have a book, Live, Learn, Grow, that's at Amazon that does really well. I have a children's series as well as my podcast and everything else. And, you know, through all those different mediums, if it inspires just one person today, that's powerful. It's just, it's just, it's a powerful thing. And then I've served my purpose if I can do that. So that's why I'm here, just trying to serve my purpose. And hopefully that one person that's been inspired will have that ripple effect in their people in their lives, whether it's their work or their family or their neighbors, whatever it is, if they're uplifted by something that they've heard from you and they can project it forward in a way, you know, because they're yeah. living that elevated thinking in that elevated life and it's going to have that ripple effect and it's going to be a beautiful thing. So oh, we just focus on that one person because that one person then goes out and affects other people. And that's the goal, right? Never underestimate the impact we have on each other and never forget that we all are connected. You know, we have this whole separatism. I see it when I travel sitting in an airport watching everybody staring into phones when I'm going, hey, look at us. We're from all over the world. Let's talk. Who are you? Where are you from? People think I'm crazy, right? This guy's nuts. <laughs> that's what we need to be doing. We used to do so. that back in the day when we didn't have phones. We had to talk to each other and it was a beautiful thing. And well, and that's been, that's been one of the joys of this pandemic. You know, when things are really shut down, we had family movie night, family game night. You know, we did so many more things together as a family in different ways. We were exercising in the backyard together and all this other stuff, walking more together. And so, again, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. To me, it was magical. It was, and people look at me like, you're crazy, dude. This has been the worst time in our life. You know, when we broke off because we were running 600 students online virtually in martial arts classes. And when we started to separate and the other location could be opened, um, I said, well, I'm going to miss this, you guys. You know, because I wouldn't have wanted to gone through this with anybody else and figure out what camera to use, what mic to use, what how to teach this, this martial arts technique virtually and emotionally connect with people. It was magical. And that's how we always approached it every day. And so, yeah, there's parts of this I'll miss as we come out of it as people begin to stare more into their iPads and all the rest of the world, right? Teaching martial arts on Zoom was a beautiful thing when it would be really easy to complain about it and say that it was really hard and hard to adjust to it and the students didn't like it and you lost your business. Like it could, you could focus on a whole nother side of that. Absolutely. And so many school owners did. And they're looking, oh, this will be over in a week. Nobody can learn martial arts online. It's got to be hands-on. I said, well, for us, it's real simple. 
Our purpose is to help people live their best life. I don't care if it's on a rooftop, online, in your driveway, it makes no difference to us. We are here to fulfill a purpose. And so at the height of it, we had 600 online, 200 outdoors in parking lots and, you know, nothing indoors. Now they're all moving back indoors, virtual is slowing down and we're still in parking lots. But you're right, we have survived this and I can see the light on the other side, Heidi. You know, we pivoted hard. We got over a half million in PPPs and forgivable everything. And, and it's been a blessing. And people look at me like, you're crazy. Well, what are you going to do? Life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Otherwise, that's why your school is closed, because all you did was suck on that lemon and complain and moan, and now your business is gone. You know, and that's not something we were committed to our why from day one, and that wasn't going to happen. We didn't believe as long as we lived from purpose, we didn't believe we were going to lose our businesses. Yeah. Honestly, I can say honestly, that fear never crossed my mind. Never. Even at the worst of it, Heidi, where last summer, and I remember we were just doing virtual and we had all the bad fires here in California. And I walked outdoors at 12 noon and it was midnight. I'm standing and looking at the sky going, it looks like midnight at 12 noon. That's how bad the fires were here. And I said, God, what else are you going to throw in our lap? Then I rewind. I kid you not. I went back into the school. I said, let's try this again. And I walked out and said, whoa, it looks like midnight at 12 noon. And so I, I quickly, you know, course correction, I just flipped that switch in my mind. But yeah, yeah, I, I've been through it and, and I've come to the other side. I'm here to tell you, you know, that it's not a bad thing. Incredible. Refreshing. I love that rewind. Go back in, come back out and say it again. It's so funny because we were in Utah and we were even affected by the California fires. Like we couldn't see our mountains anymore. It was just like this guck in the air and everybody here is complaining about it so much. And I'm just like, okay, hello, we're not, we're not evacuating. Like it's not on our road. It's not in our buildings. Like stop whining about something that's happening in another state. But can you imagine it, how bad it was here? Heidi? Exactly. That's what I, I kept imagine. thinking. We're miserable about the smoke here, you know, and we're complaining about that. And it's like, wait, somebody else has it way worse than we do. And so we've got to kind of reset, rewind. I love that reminder. Yeah, my wife, my wife doesn't dig that sometimes because, you know, when she's having a challenge or something, I say, well, we could be living in the Middle East. We could be in Ethiopia right now. She goes, what does that got to do with anything? I said, for me, everything. It's a big difference. For me, everything. And I've lived in a third world country, so I know how hard that can be. Right. And so I am, I just, but it, it, it's a life choice, right? It really is a choice. And I think what is so sad for us as human beings is when we don't believe we have a choice. That's when it gets scary. That's when someone's going to wake up today and decide my best choice is to take my life. But, you know, Nelson Mandela said that so well. How many people can be in jail for over 20 plus years and come out to be the president? That's crazy, right? And Nelson Mandela said that. They could imprison my body, but they could not imprison my mind. And that's powerful. And, and, and the story, the backstory of that, he was sitting there eating in a, in a restaurant with his guards. And this guy was petrified in the corner petrified. And Nelson Mandela told his guards, go get him. Tell him to come over and eat with us. And this guy sat there eating in silence, petrified. And when he left, his guard goes, what was that all about? And Nelson Mandela said this in true story. He said, when I was being tortured in prison and I would ask for water, this guy would urinate on me. And they said, whoa, 
why don't we take this guy out in the back? And, and he says, because then he wins. But what I've learned through this is a deeper sense of empathy, a deeper sense of forgiveness. And of course, that's why the guard was freaked out. Here's the president now, what he could do to you, right? And nobody would bat an eye. But to make that choice of forgiveness, wow, that's, that's whoa, that's a level that I've yet to obtain. But, you know, but we see these stories all the time and they're there. There's a lot of good data to say the potential of the human spirit being the better version of ourselves is so much better than being the worst. I think when we talk about living your best life, number one, define living. Living and surviving are two different things. I don't want to survive. I know what that's like. Keep the electricity on. I got to watch my back. I got to get over on you before you get over on me mentality. It's very impoverished thinking. So define what living means. And then yours, selfishly, what is your version of your life? What does that mean to you and nobody else? Not mom, not dad, not a college professor, not a peer, just you. And then best, excellence. How do you define that excellence for you? And then life, that's my legacy. At the end of the day, you know, what, when I can look back on life and say, you know, is this my life? Or do I want to work some job I hate and wake up 40 years now with a gold watch and a pension and go, whose life was that? You know, people ask me, when am I going to retire? I'm going, well, retirement's for people that hate their life. That's why they retire. I have no need to retire. I don't want to retire. I enjoy life. I love life. I might rewire and do things differently, you know, as I begin to age. But ultimately, it's about living your best life. Figure that out. You know, define that for yourself. Take no prisoners, but do the best you can not to hurt people along the way and celebrate. Celebrate who you are. There's only one you. And that's pretty magical within itself. But are we brave enough? Do we have enough courage to be ourselves? I think that's what it is, at least for me. Perfectly said. I love that. Live your best life. It's such a simple statement. And I love how you broke it down to describe each word of living your best life and really making it what you can for yourself. I think that's what we should be doing. Yes, ma'am. Great. Yes, Rewire, ma not retire. I love that. <laughs> that's so awesome. This is great. You have uplifted me today. I feel so much better after talking to you. This has been so refreshing. So thank you. I love your insight and your story. I'm very and grateful to be with you. Yeah, I just can't believe where you've come from and, and where you're at now. It's quite the process. And I'm just so proud. I'm so proud of you and that you fought the fight. You made it. You did it. You changed your thinking and you changed your situation. You changed your life. Yes, ma'am. And you know, it's always about progress, not perfection, right? Absolutely. And we can be perfect in our imperfections, then I believe we'll do the real work and be okay where we are today. Yeah. Right? We're always looking, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Right? We hear that all the time. I'm not there yet. Well, if I'm here, and I take 10 steps over there, it's just a new here. I'm still here. I'm just 10 steps over there. So don't try to get there. Just be really in the here and then it'll all take care of the rest of it. Well, and you'll get wherever you think you need to go. Mm. You will. I was just saying that the other day, and that goes back to the gratitude of being grateful for the moments you're in instead of wishing for the future or worrying about the future, because yes. who knows what's coming? Like we have no idea what's ahead so we can plan for it, but it's going to change. And so just enjoy today. Yeah, it's what you know what, and it's what you have. And that's what Lao Tse said. If you live in the past, you're depressed. If you live in the future, you're anxious. Exactly. To live in the present moment, 
That's really where peace is. Like Titnat Han said, peace in every step. You know, if at every breath I take, I find that peace. If I'm in the moment, every step I take, you know, if I'm in the peace, that's where the peace lives. That's why a thousand mile journey begins with a single step. And it's that single step and being in that step is truly where peace lives. So I get it. I get it. I get it too. I love it. I get to practice it every day. So it's, it's a great way to live. Thank you. No, thank you. So nice. It's been a gift. Yeah, totally. See, and that's how we look at it. It's yep. a gift to talk to each other. And hopefully it's a gift for anybody listening to feel that same passion and excitement and ready to take on the day as well. Take on the hour, take on the minute, whatever it is in their lives to just keep going. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. So do you say your name, Brandon? Brandon, B-R-A-N-N-O-N, yeah. Brandon, Brandon. Yes. <laughs> I love that name. It's very unique. I think it's really cool. Brandon. Yeah, it was actually derivative because I'm a martial artist and there was Brandon Lee, who was the son of Bruce Lee. Yeah. And I didn't want to use Brandon. So Brandon became uh, kind of like a hybrid, uh, you know, of that. Yeah. Okay. So you called yourself that. That wasn't what you were born with. No, I wasn't born Brannon, but I actually changed my name legally to Brannon over 20 years ago when I was in showbiz. So, and then there's a deeper story behind that too. And we can go into that if you'd like. Okay. Yeah. Tell me whatever you want. So let's get started. Mm-hmm.